Hi there. This is Totally Fantastic Title. Welcome back to Hall H, everyone. Hi, I'm Dave Lees, and you're listening to the Totally Fantastic Title Podcast. Let's jump right back into the second half of Gatekeeper FanCon 2021. Krista, if King and Val are dupes, is there a king or queen that they are responsible to? Oh, no, there are only duchies. There may be other parts of the world that have monarchies, but Rydris is divided into duchies. Ooh, actually, quick flash question on top of that. Will us as listeners ever get a chance to see the map? If there is a map, are you going to share it on social media or posters, merch? Interesting question. There, There is a map... Actually, there's a there's an enormous map of all of Rydris, and I have no idea how it, it it takes up approximately a bajillion eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper, and it requires the use of my entire living room floor to spread it out. So I have no idea how I would um, <laughs> duplicate or, or recreate the entire map of Rydris on a smaller scale. Um, my friend Rob did do a smaller map of just one area of Rydris, mostly the um, the scenes that are featured in Gatekeeper's Key. Um, parts of it, anyway. I haven't looked at it in a long time. Um, so there, there is a map there, and yeah, that's definitely something I would consider um, reproducing somehow and, and putting out there for people to see. I, I, there are all these things I have to add to the to-do list and I'm, I just, there's only one of me, so I have to kind of prioritize things, but yeah, I, I really like that idea. All right. Well, you can guarantee that I will be first on the list for that map when it comes out, if it comes out someday. (laughs) Skimnoddle. Oh, my goodness. When you first met Pierre and the party aside, I must know, what is the most bombastic and outrageous piece of thieving you have ever done? Go. Hmm. (laughs) I would have to say that a particularly brazen bit of thieving I performed was, yes, the time I was busking on the steps of the city hall in Verk right in front of the sign that read, no busking. (laughs) I had been there for 20 minutes and had gathered quite a crowd, in fact, when an officer of the law approached. He confiscated my meager earnings and gave me a stern reprimand. While he reprimanded me, I stole his wallet and his keys and my earnings. I followed him for the next little while and took great pleasure in the awkwardness he experienced, especially when he first realized he had been robbed and thought of several persons other than myself who could have been the thief. <laughs> Later, I went to the constabulary and returned the wallet and keys, saying I had found them. His supervisor made him thank me and pay me a certain sum out of his wallet as a reward. I thanked him humbly and told him I was merely doing my part. 
Simply amazing. I love it. Oh my goodness. That is very amusing, skin model. Everybody check your wallets before you leave. Krista, do you have a preferred time of day for writing? Oh, I used to. When my kids were babies, toddlers, preschoolers, I used to do all my writing at night. I've always loved darkness and still prefer to write in a windowless room. Um, when they were really, I would put them to bed at 7.30 and then I would write until one o'clock in the morning. And when they started school, of course, I kind of had to rearrange my day so I wasn't writing while they were at home. Um, then they moved out and now I can write whenever I damn well please. <laughs> I do tend to write more during the day nowadays because I like hanging out with Matt in the evenings and frankly I get tired earlier than I used to. Downside being planes, lawnmowers as we oh all God. heard in the F up uh, <laughs> bonus special. Oh my God. And it's... I... <laughs> It's a, it's a constant thing. No sooner do I, I, I try to, you know, a, a day can be like super quiet in the neighborhood. And then I sit down and as soon as I sit down, somebody starts up their lawnmower or there's planes from the little airport across the river. And I have to press pause and wait for it to go by. And, oh my God, it's just, it's so frustrating. And I'm tearing my hair out and I do a lot of cursing and swearing that doesn't make it into the recording generally. <laughs> when you are writing, uh, do you use pen and paper or computer or a combination of both? I mostly write on my laptop, uh, but I do occasionally use pen and paper. Um, if I don't have my laptop with me, I will happily use pen and paper. And definitely if I'm having trouble focusing or getting my head into a particular character or part of the story or trying to solve a problem of some sort, um, pen and paper is very effective for creating a link to my brain, brain into my shoulder and down my arm and through the pen onto the paper. So often new ideas come more easily when I write by hand. And I've got countless, um, what, what are these called? Spiral, spiral notebooks. I've got countless spiral notebooks just crammed with writing. And, and my handwriting is terrible. So if I don't go back and sort of decipher it right away and I, and I look at it months or even years later, I can't even make out most of what I've written. So. <laughs> Janik, you've gone from hating or at least really resenting and despising Kier to being one of her most loyal defenders. When and, and how do you think your feeling about her began to change? I don't know the exact moment. I think it was after she was taken by that horse on Ronav. Though I have more respect for whores than that name deserves. I would call him vermin, but even vermin don't deserve the comparison. Anyway, that scoundrel and, and that peckerhead of a friend of his, Con, they took her and beat her to a pulp. I apologize for bringing up the memory, Kier. What got me was that she didn't complain. I started paying more attention, that's all. She was just so fervent about everything. It was hard to keep my head up my ass after that. And we all thank you for that. Damn, there I go winking again. This is a podcast. 
along the same lines, here's a question for Fennel. What makes you keep your faith in Kier when others in your party have their doubts about her? Is there something that you see in her that the others don't? Or are you just that much more trusting? Honestly, I think it's mostly because of the conversation we had on the stairs the night Val asked us to take on the mission. She was so earnest about it, and what she said made sense to me that I just couldn't even consider that she might be anything other than what she told me. I mean, if I doubted her at all, it was that day we met Harley the first time. I am so sorry about that. I know, but besides, I noticed things the others didn't pick up on, like her missing sword and Todd coming into the restaurant in Seaview with a message the morning she was late. Who was it? Was it you, Deskellen, who said, Todd keeping you busy? That was me. I was joking. Yeah, that's right. You said that, and she just agreed. She didn't actually say it. And it was because I didn't think she would ever have been that late with no good reason. You approached the entire episode with a different perspective, one based on trust rather than suspicion. And I think we can all learn something from that. Well said, sir. Krista, Kier's sexuality and her frank ownership of her sexuality is so important to her character and, and so radically different from the gender performance in most fantasy novels. Yet much of the trouble she has in the novels, whether it's with Frederick or, or Derry or anyone else, has to do with the fact that the men in her world can't accept her sexuality. So I have two questions. Why was it so important to you that so many of Kier's trials, misunderstandings, misadventures had to do with men who can't handle her sexual power? And two, how much is she an outlier in her own world? And how much do other women in her country also own their sexuality? Ooh, keeping to the light topics, um, <laughs> you ask that as if I planned it that way. Um, let me think on that. I wouldn't say that it was important to me that her misadventures have to do with men and her sexuality. What was important to me was that she own her sexuality, probably because I wanted her to be a realistic character. I mean, women like sex. Do I need to specify consensual sex? as much as men do. And I wanted to create a story where a woman has permission to enjoy sex. I'm pretty sure this topic alone could be an entire podcast episode. Um, if she, as a character, sets an example to real live women in this world, I hope so. The fact is that we are bombarded with stories with archaic attitudes. And even though a story or a show might be, might be historical fiction and therefore historically, sadly, accurate, I'm really tired of those attitudes, you know, where men get to like sex because there are virtually no consequences for them. Stories about women who like sex are punished with blame and name-calling, and if they get pregnant, it's their fault and their life is ruined. Well, that's just stupid. This notion of she went and got herself pregnant. I mean, that's from my lifetime where people would have that attitude. And how, I ask you, how does a woman get herself pregnant? That's utter bullshit. And it's a fight we are still forced to have autonomy over our bodies. 
Hear, hear. <laughs> so, so anyway, that is what's important to me. Um, and then you see the other characters have to behave and react in character as she is. I didn't set out to purposely create tension by having men who can't handle that. I asked myself, for instance, what would Frederick do in this situation? Well, he's not here on this panel to defend himself, so I'll just say, he's used to women who feel honored to have him pay attention to them. He's not accustomed to a woman who has her own reasons for sleeping with someone, her own pleasure in mind, not feeding into his ego. Now that takes me into the second part of your question about how unusual she is in her world. Well, I haven't actually explored too many riderless women's lives up till this point, but I do know she's not alone. As to how much other women own their sexuality, more than in our world, um, in Rydris, there are women who are more shy about their bodies and their sexuality because that is those individuals' comfort level, their choice. But I envision Rydris and the unknown geographical locations beyond Rydris's boundaries as a world where there aren't hundreds of years of bullshit messaging. Contraception, too, is crucial. It's easier to get hold of um, in Kier's world and doesn't cause a bunch of nasty side effects like, uh, like it does in our world, which is enormously freeing for people who have uteruses. Uh, I should point out, too, that the question was about women, so I'm speaking about women, but this goes really for anyone, whatever gender, however person identifies. And yes, Rydris is diversely populated. <laughs> um, that, was, that was a lot of heavy stuff. So I hope I answered those questions. I, I think so. Uh, thank you for that, Krista. Fennel, you are an excellent archer. What was the best <laughs> shot you ever made? 52 years old, about 23 in human, grouse at 200 paces, hanging by my legs upside down in a tree. Wow. I don't know if I'm more impressed by the story or the fact that it was less than 25 words long. Janik. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What is one thing about dwarves you wish more outsiders understood? We're not actually grouchy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not just when you've been drinking? I am very friendly when I've been drinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, this listener says, I have a question for Jaskellen. Are you into bestiality? Aiden's blood, why would you think that? Werewolves? Rumor has it you had a furry lover at one point. Who were they? I, we want to know. I am not at liberty to say too much, I believe, dear creator. Uh, yeah, hold off a bit. All right, but I will at least say that many of my people are shapeshifters. May I say that? Uh, well, you did now, so... Spoilers. I preface this next question, my lord Valraker, by saying I'm reading this question as written by the listener. 
As near as I can tell, your best friend, Kian Barthelin, is a sociopath and a thug, an autocratic despot. He's right there. Don't worry, we weren't allowed to bring weapons into this venue. For all you listeners, Kian is sitting here looking rather proud of himself. The only thing worse than being talked about negatively is not even making it into the book. (laughs) So, if I may finish the question, why on earth, Lord Valraker, are you his best friend, and why are you so unshakably loyal to him? I'm kind of stunned by your assessment of his character, truly. Um... I have never seen him in that light. At least, I have never interpreted his actions in that way. There may be things he says and does when I am not around that would lead you to feel that way. I must allow that to be possible. The creator is picky about what she allows each of us to see and to reveal to the audience. So, for my part, I see him as passionate, caring, loyal, intense, certainly, No one would ever accuse him of being patient. And he does like to have his own way. And I must admit, he can express his displeasure more violently than others might get away with. Obviously, I'm glad he's on my side. I wouldn't want to be his foe. But as an ally, he is generous, steadfast, offers aid and support. He has helped me to remunerate my employees for all their hard work. Bear that in mind. Which makes it in his best interest to see my duchy returned to me. He was there for me when my father died, along with Alon Mare. Let's face it, the two of them were literally my only friends after my people left Rydris. I have formed new friendships, thanks to people like these up here with me on this panel. But there is something to be said for having a history. Kian, for uh, obvious reasons, we don't get to see you flash your prowess with a blade. Uh, I am curious as to your preferred weapon and armor uh, loadout uh, for a battle. Are you a plate armor elf, shield, sword, swords? I'm glad you asked. I choose to not be enraged by that previous question. As a duke, it is important for me to have some measure of control, after all. In answer to your question to me, I have chainmail, which allows me the smooth and fluid movement I prefer. I have two longswords, and yes, I am capable of wielding them both at the same time. Should the author ever see fit to allow me to use them, I would be happy to demonstrate. (laughs) Once again, for the benefit of our listening audience, the author is smirking right now. If I needed a shield, I might consider it, but I can't be bothered. Frankly, that's pretty much exactly what I was looking for. Kier, quick question. Do you have a name for your sword? All great swords have names. Um, well, I'm pretty sure that my sword gave me its name when I found it in the middle of that clearing. It, it said the name Barakel, so I th- I'm calling it Barakel. Excellent. Thank you. This next one may be more for the writer. Uh, will we get to see Alon Mare and Kian in combat at all going forward? Because that would be awesome. 
(laughs) You may, you may not. I haven't finished writing the story yet. I'm not going to comment on things that haven't happened yet. I don't think it's fair to the characters. All right, listeners, petition up. We want Alon Mayer and Kian in combat. <laughs> Let's convince right. this writer to make this happen. <laughs> Just skilling. You're also a battle mage. Is there any other discipline you'd sometimes wish you'd specialized in? Interesting question. I would have to say light art. By which I do not mean it is art that is not to be taken seriously, nor art that does not weigh very much physically. I am fascinated by the artists who use their magic to create sculpture out of light. They can create light in many forms and shapes and manipulate it into three-dimensional pieces of all sizes. I saw a piece once that many people could walk through at the same time, and music played, and the colors changed, and it was one of the most moving experiences of my life. Someday I would love to try my hand at that. Something more creative. Well, we all look forward very much to hearing about that, Skellen. Janik, will we ever get to see you interacting with other dwarves in the same way Fennel has interacted with other elves? Oh, I suppose that's more for me. Yeah, because you don't tell us nothing. (laughs) Sorry, dude. Um, I'm going to say probably. The town of Paderak is largely dwarvish, and you may remember that it's a dwarf that runs the small weapon booth at the market where Kier gets slashed by a bad guy. So yeah, there may be more of that in Gatekeeper's Revelation, and almost definitely there will be more dwarf interaction in future stories. My short story, He Had It Coming, not published yet, uh, features a girl named Evan who grew up in a human dwarvish town. She speaks dwarvish and will certainly hang out with dwarves in her novel. So yeah, there might be more opportunities for uh, Janik to interact with other dwarves in Gatekeeper's Revelation. Thanks for that. All right, so then this question is for Janik. Uh, we know most of the other characters place in their native social hierarchy. Uh, what is yours? Oh, well, you know, just from a humble background, I'm nothing special. I grew up in the mountain city of Krennic. My mother's a weaver. My father, it may surprise you to learn, is a stonemason. That's not stereotypical at all. Uh, I suppose that's aimed at me as the author. I prefer to think of it as consistent. What would be stereotypical would be an assumption that all elves are good and kind. I prefer to think of myself as... Oh, you definitely prefer to think of yourself. All right, all right. The question was for Janik. Some of us have families to think of when we make choices. My brother Oscar was born with a condition that makes it tough for him to walk. He can, with the help of crutches, but his legs and feet and his hands are twisted, so he moves differently. Didn't affect his mind at all, let me tell you. He has a wicked sense of humor, sharp as my blade. So he took up weaving and does some stonework, but it takes him a bit longer. He's an artist, though. A genius. I was never any good at any of that stuff. When our city was under threat, I got the idea that I should join up, learn to fight, train with a fella, got pretty damn good at it. I send money home to the family whenever I can. That's about it. 
Well, I'd say that's pretty dang selfless. Krista, what has been your favorite part of audiobooking this trilogy? Well, I have always loved reading aloud, so I absolutely love reading my own work and bringing the characters to life. We can handle well, that. Yes, oh, because we can all you. you. Um, well, sorry, but that's pretty much true. Here, I'll prove it to you. Everyone, all at the same time, holler your answer to this. What is your favorite color? Come on now, don't be shy. See? Sorry. 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 So anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. I have also discovered that I really enjoy editing the audio. It's finicky and meticulous, and I kind of like stuff like that. I probably take too much time on that, but if I feel more satisfied with the way an episode sounds, then it was worth it. Of course, I go back and listen to earlier episodes when I was still learning and I was not as picky and it kind of, kind of makes me cringe. Um, when I have time, I may go back and tweak things, at least for the audiobooks. So, so yeah, that was a surprise. Um, but I definitely enjoy bringing the narration and the character voices I hear in my head to life by reading it aloud. Another question for you, Krista. Uh, now that you've read it all and made it into audiobooks, are you submitting for print publication? And now that you are this far in, do you plan to go back and rewrite from the beginning before you do? So, so the books are already considered published. Even in, in, in audio, that is considered the first rights. The first time that the, uh, the story is published is the first rights. Uh, even though there's not a print and an e-version as of yet, though that's coming very soon. So it's doubtful that a traditional publisher would want to take them on now because they wouldn't be able to buy the first rights. Uh, and that's fine. I started out following that path. Um, I had an agent for a while. I fired them. I was offered a publishing contract from a small press, blah, blah, blah. And eventually I decided to create my own path for the stories. So although I won't be submitting them to traditional publishers, I will be putting out print and e-versions in what I hope is the near future. Like I just said, I've been chatting with another fellow a uh, fellow writer about doing a butter thing where I'll narrate and produce his audiobook and he'll turn my books into the print and e-versions. I probably won't do a full-on rewrite, but I think writers can't help but continue to tweak. So as I've recorded the stories, I've come across things that make me cringe a bit. Uh, so some minor revisions will likely happen, but not like a weeks and months long heavy revision. Very interesting. Skimnoddle, uh, you strike me as a fellow who knows what he wants from life. What are your retirement plans, if any? Oh, knowing what one wants and achieving it are two different things, my good man. Though I have to say I am more than satisfied with the turn my life has taken of late, having someone like his lordship believe in my talents, and with such an alliance of like-minded individuals upon whom I may rely, I confess it is more than I ever allowed myself a humble halfling from a tuber farm to hope for. I am certainly not ready to retire at this juncture. I believe I have a few outrageous stories in me yet. Besides, I am a performer at heart, and does a performer ever really retire? 
Perhaps when I am finished with adventuring, I will settle down. The love of my life at my side. I am looking at you, Kier, in a city or town where I might continue to perform and draw crowds sizable enough to maintain my lifestyle in the manner in which I intend to become accustomed. Nay, my friend, I shall take pleasure and pride in cooking succulent dishes for my darling Kier and continue... Oh, I didn't know I was going to hire you to be my chef. I'll have to make sure that fits in my budget. I shall continue to practice my art and hope to flourish until my dying day. Thank you very much for that skim model. And our final question. Oh, it's over. When we go back to live conventions, MissCon, Comic-Con, C2E2, Fan Expo, all of them, are there any plans for Gatekeeper's Trilogy merchandise? Oh, I love this idea. Uh, in fact, when I first came up with a serious idea to podcast the story, this came up in brainstorming sessions, um, you know, thinking about uh, stuff like totally fantastic title t-shirts or t-shirts with character quotes on and so forth. But then I thought, what if I were to make decals with quotes on them that folks could then apply to whatever they want, like iron them on a t-shirt or different sized ones to apply to a coffee mug or whatever, then I wouldn't have to muck about with colors and sizing and so forth, which just sounds really complicated to me. I also have ideas to create Kier's medallion. Uh, and even have a friend who is an amazing jewelry crafter, and I've spoken to him briefly about it. Or Alan Mayer's serpent necklace. Not sure if anyone would want that. Uh, yeah, so yeah, a little heebie-jeebie. <laughs> exactly my point. So yeah, I have a few ideas there, but haven't acted on any of them yet. Mostly because I've been focusing on podcasting and writing. Um, I'd also like to come up with other cool merch ideas. So, um, yeah, the short answer is yes. And once again, suggestions are welcome. I would yeah. love it. Yeah. Putting it out to you listeners, what merchandise do you want to buy? That is the question. Unfortunately, that is all the questions we have for the panel. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in and for submitting such thought-provoking and entertaining questions. Uh, thank you to our panelists for your that answers. That was so fun. I, I enjoyed it very much. And I was happy to be a part of it. Thank you very much. And a huge thanks to Krista for inviting me to be your moderator today. My name is Dave Dees. You can find me on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Kelmar Dave. That's C-E-L- M-A-R Dave uh, but more importantly you can reach out to Krista via email totallyfantastictitle at gmail.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter just search Krista Wallace uh, you can also check out her website crystalwallace.com the first two books of the Gatekeeper trilogy are now available where most audiobooks are sold a huge thank you to all of those who submitted such great questions and humored this idea I had for Gatekeeper FanCon 2021. Edwin, Louise, Shari, Teresa, and John, thank you so much for such great questions. An enormous cheer for Dave Lees for managing the antics in Hall H. 
Hey, and thank you to my family, Matt, David, and Heather, and Maggie. Thanks to David and Sharon. Shout out to the original six. And thanks to you, dear listeners. I hope you enjoyed the bit of fun that was Gatekeeper FanCon. Tune in next week for Chapter 1 of Griffin and the Spurious Correlations. With all that said, I think there's only one thing left to say. Krista? Now, go be fantastic. Chills. Literal <laughs> chills. <laughs>